There is a video that I wanted to show you, but we don't not able. God is sovereign, and His will will not be thwarted. So, therefore, if it doesn't happen, what His will? Amen. Have your Bibles turned to Ezekiel thirty-three. I'm going to say something that's going to sound a little bit harsh. Uh, I don't take pleasure in ever doing that, but I want to tell you today that this is a very serious message. Now, the reason we changed our Sunday school and the things that we did around is because we have found, and the studies show, um, there was a lot of warnings that went out over the years. Uh, uh, Brother Kevin and I have talked about this and, uh, at some length uh, from time to time. Uh, but there was there was fears that when Sunday school was even instituted originally that it would become the it would become the primary method in which our children learn. Right. Um, and then we start having things like, uh, you know, youth pastors. And all. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing. Here's the problem is the studies show that kids are walking away from the church. When they get out of school, once they get out of school and have their own choice, they're finding that kids are walking away and they're walking away as fast from the churches that have the hip youth pastors, the hip services, the youth band and all that other that they have all that stuff we don't have. The churches that have that still have kids walking out at the same rate, if not more. When do our children learn to love the word of God? Amen. That's the reason we made this change. Is because we don't want to be found negligent in our duties to be making sure that we are teaching and preaching in such a way that is pleasing to God uh, and that also uh, helps families and not hinders them. I do not want to be your child's spiritual giant. Your job is to be your child's spiritual giant. Amen? But I want to say this this morning. We leave the kids in the sanctuary and don't have children's church because our children need to learn to love and respect the word of God in preaching. But this morning is a very serious message. And I would ask that if there is an issue, listen, we understand that the nursery's open. But any time that we, can, we take attention away from the word of God that's being preached, then we're now becoming the center. Amen? Sounds harsh. Sounds mean. When you stand before God, dude, what do you think you're going to say? What do you think he's going to say? Amen. This is church is not about you and it's not about your children or anybody else. It's about God and his word proclaimed in truth and in sincerity. And we are to worship him in truth and in spirit. Amen. I love kids. Y'all know I do. We're still finding nerf darts around this place. Every time we, every time we go to build something, we find more laying around. So if there's anybody who knows how to have fun, it's, it's old Pastor Huff. But what if I told you that death is right at your doorstep this morning? What if I were to tell you that you were in imminent danger? That without Christ, we know that we are in imminent danger. But what about your friends and your family members? Do you realize that they are in imminent danger? This past week, we lost a celebrity. Kobe Bryant and his daughter. Hate that that's happened. We'll tell you what we lost last week, though. We lost somebody that I went to school with. And when I say I went to school with, out of 12 grades, I went to school in about 11 of those with this guy. And he had to meet, he had to meet Jesus Christ face to face and stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So when I tell you it's serious this morning, I mean absolutely beyond the shadow of a doubt, this is serious this morning. And I want to make sure that we're all keenly aware our children need to learn how serious this is. 
but sometimes they're small ones. They can't sit through the whole service. I understand that. Just please use the other things that we have available to help with that so that we are able to concentrate on the word this morning. Amen. I would rather them stay in and listen to the word. I want to make sure that's very clear. I would rather that happen. Amen. We're going to look at Ezekiel 33 this morning. By the way, I really don't have to preach this message now. Uh, turns out Brother Kevin uh, and Brother Jeff done figured it out. Because they mapped out my sermon this morning. He says, hey, we already mapped this thing out. We want to see how close we are, right? I thought they cheated and used the app. Apparently they didn't. It was just a few weeks ago that I preached from Ezekiel 36. And so... Obviously, I don't always do things in a specific order, uh, but this is the time that God has given us and said, this is the message that we want today off. And so therefore, we're going to deliver that message according to the leadership of the Holy Spirit uh, and his work uh, on my heart as a pastor. Amen. So Ezekiel chapter 33, we're going to read quite a long passage of scripture this morning. Now, um, you'll see that the scripture is not in your bulletin. What's in your bulletin is the lyrics to a song called You Never Mention Him to Me. And it's a song that you'll hear at the end of this message. It's a song that I've told you about many times. Um, this is the one who wrote that song, by the way, also wrote songs like Love Lifted Me and a lot of other hymns that you see uh, in the hymn book. And uh, he, I think he died in somewhere around 1908 or something like that. So it's, the song's got some age on it, but it is, it is as important today as it ever was. Amen. Ezekiel chapter 33, we're going to read verses 1 through 11. I would like you to stand to your feet, please. We're going to read verses 1 through 11, and then we're going to pray. And the word says this, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, speak to your people and say to them, If I bring the sword upon the land, and the people of the land take a man from among them and make them their watchmen, and if he sees the sword coming upon the land and blows the trumpet and warns the people, then if anyone who hears the sound of the trumpet does not take warning, the sword comes and takes him away. His blood shall be upon his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet and did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself. But if he had taken warning, he would have saved his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet so that the people are not warned and the sword comes and takes away any one of them, that person is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require from the watchman's hand. So you, son of man, I have made a watchman over the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning for me. If I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn, uh, turn from his way, the wicked person shall die in his iniquity, but the blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, and that person shall... I'm sorry, uh, yes, I'm, I lost my placement. And he does not turn from his way, the person shall die in his iniquity, but you shall be delivered your soul. And you, son of man, say to the house of Israel, thus you have said, surely our transgressions and our sins are upon us, and we rot away because of them, and how then can we live? Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We just pray this morning, Father, Lord, that you will be with us. Lord, we pray that this will be your word that is spoken, preached, and proclaimed. Father, if there's someone here who doesn't know you as their Savior, God, I pray today that they will see, Lord, the imminent threat that is before them 
of knowing that we don't know when our time is up. But Father, we do know that there is a time that is appointed where we will stand before you and we will give an account of what we've done and what, not, and what we've done against the knowledge that we've been given. So Father, we pray today, Lord, uh, that you will be with us. Father, we pray, Lord, today that, uh, Lord, it won't be about me, the preacher, but Father, that we'll truly open our hearts to receive your word and see, receive it in its entirety. Father, I pray, Lord, today that you just help us, Lord, to focus, uh, Lord, and deliver your word uh, as you have, uh, Lord, proclaimed in our heart this morning. We love you and we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Y'all can be seated. Now, I want you to think this morning and imagine a small nation uh, and how much its survival is dependent upon the watchman. Now, Ezekiel was taken captive about a decade after Daniel. And so he's delivering this to people who understand what it's like to become under attack. He knows what it's, what it's like. They, they, they understand what it means to have another nation come and take them. Now, I want you to realize is back then they didn't have CNN and MSNBC and Fox and all those others that try to call out what we're going to do before we ever do it. Try to do something in secret and surprise somebody these days, right? I mean, you can't even do that in football no more. Tony Romo don't got it all figured out anyway. He tells you what the play is going to be before it ever happens anyhow. Amen? Right? So, so imagine uh, back in these days they didn't have all the you got to just remember that their survival was dependent upon them being able to defend themselves. And they had these small nations. And, and, and what other nations would do is they always were trying to take the element of surprise. So these nations would try to, to fashion themselves in such a way uh, to be able to position themselves, build walls such as Jericho, and, and, and build around an area that gives them a visual of the, the surrounding area in such a way that the enemy is going to be hard for them to sneak up on. They were aware and they were continually aware and on watch. And they would set the watchman and his job was to watch out and look out as far as they could see. And anytime they saw any kind of trouble coming, they would blow their trumpet. Or back then it would have been a shofar. It would have been like a ram's horn. And they would blow that. And, and, and they, they had certain types of different blasts, whether it be one long, one short, things like that. They would have these codes that, that would let them know that when they heard the horn and they would hear it in a specific sequence, they knew what that meant. It may be that, hey, people are showing up, or it may be, hey, I see an army that's about ready to invade. So the people would not only trust the watchman, but the watchman would make sure that they always were aware of what was happening, lest they be taken by surprise. You know, the Bible says that the devil is like a, like a lion. And that he's, he, he's seeking to devour us and, and he will crouch down in. You ever watch those shows where the tiger's down in the weeds, right? And, and hiding and waiting for that little old antelope to come along and not realize that he's there. And then he would pounce on that element of surprise. And so here we see that Ezekiel is, is God has given his word uh, to his people, he, he's, he's giving them something they can fully understand. He's giving them something that, 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 that when he says, listen, about a watchman, these people truly understand what that means. And today we look at our military, we look at our government and those folks like that. You remember when 9-11 happened, how surprised and shocked we were? Do you remember that? I remember everybody there, I can't believe it happened. Didn't somebody know about this? What about our intelligence community? 
What about those folks who, who were supposed to be watching out for us? We were, we, were, we were horrified in our heart that so many people would lose their life. But at the same time, we were also so almost disenfranchised with the government thinking that, listen, we got all those tax dollars. They're supposed to have watchmen watching out for us. And here they took us by surprise. And in one fell swoop within an hour's time, 3,000 people lost their lives. Imminent danger. By the way, I remember just after 9-11 going through the house of someone in Great Falls, Virginia to work on their air conditioning system. When I get there, I saw, I saw an urn. And somebody's got their phone on or something. Listen, today's message is important. Amen? It's important. And so I remember, I remember 9-11... I remember after 9-11, I went to this house and there was an urn there. And it turns out it was a senator, the lady senator who was killed in, that cra- in the crash on the Pentagon. That was her. You know what the husband said? I was like, I saw when I saw what was written there. I'm like, I, I-, I hate to ask. But is that? And he said, yes. And I recognized her name. As soon as I saw her name, I realized who it was. He said, you know, that day was like any other day. She went to work like she normally does. He said, that day she never came home. I'm in a danger. Do you know the future? I surely don't. You don't know the future. And maybe you're here today and say, Huff, I don't know the future, but I know Christ. And I know that I'm covered by his blood. And listen, that's absolutely wonderful. But does everybody you know have the same confidence in Christ that you do? That's the real deal, isn't it? I mean, that's how important this is, folks. We live in such a self-centered society that as long as I've saved, everything is absolutely fine, right? As long as I've saved, well, you know, God's got his elect. We like to use all these terms when the fact is we see here that God has given a very specific command. And we know that this is not just an Old Testament teaching that applies just to Israel. We know, and we see later, I'll show you in the New Testament, where Paul declared his innocence of their blood when he gave the gospel and they wouldn't listen. He says that my hands are clean, that I'm innocent of your blood. Your blood will be on your hands. You see, it's not just enough today for us to walk in our confidence in Christ and know that we're okay. The fact is, is this church and, and, and all those who know Christ in it should be burdened down to the point where we're almost sick on our stomach knowing that there's people I love that are leaving this world not ready. So God's given them this concept of the watchman. It's just something that they really understand. It was just a week and a half or two ago on 51, on the road that you and I travel a lot. At least I do. I go up and down 51 all the time and I go right by that spot now. If you head toward Charleston, you'll see it right before you get to Tuscaloosa or Locust Hill, whatever they call it these days. You'll see a spot there and you'll see flowers on the right-hand side. You'll see the black marks on the pavement. But you know what's going to happen? Is over time, those black marks are going to fade away. After a while, they'll quit putting flowers by there, maybe. 
Right now, I'm very keenly aware of how dangerous 51 is, especially when I go past it half asleep. Maybe you do the same. But you don't realize, I remember 20 years ago when a young lady who was in her teens, actually, I'm sorry, it was about 10 years ago, hit a, a wrecker, a tow truck head on and killed her. Didn't hurt the tow truck driver and he drove away. But she met Jesus that day face to face and had to give an account that very moment. You see, it's not just good enough for us to be ready to give that account. We're going to give an account for how we've carried the gospel. We're going to give an account of all those people that we have influence over, those people that we get to talk to, and those people who trust us. You see, this is no, we have no time for, for childish, self-centered games. In church, it becomes so-and-so is doing this and so-and-so is doing that. And, well, you know so-and-so ain't getting it done. Or getting it. Listen, we ain't got time for that baloney here, folks. You see, time is ticking. Time is ticking away. And every time I snap my fingers, somebody is leaving this world. And are they ready to meet Christ? Because if they're not, they will spend an eternity in hell. Do you realize that the rich man who went to hell in the Bible is still there being tormented to this day? And it will continue forever and forever. Isolated. There's no parties in hell, by the way, in case you was wondering. There's no parties there. You're not going to go down there and run the place. You always hear that. I'm going to go down there and take over. No, you're not. You'll be isolated. There's no party there. Total isolation. No hope of ever. Ever being able to hear the word of God. No hope of ever escaping. The torment. The Bible is very clear. It says the fire is not quenched. And the worm dieth not. It is the worst kind of agony that you could ever imagine. And it is continual. And it will continue for an eternity. It's not just good enough that you're ready, folks. We're going to look at this scripture and see. Now, how imminent is it? 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 3 says, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brother, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. It says, while people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains uh, comes upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. I was watching a show, I don't know, late one night, just channel surfing. And, and there was on this sitcom, there was a woman that, that showed up at the office. And while she was standing there talking, all of a sudden she looked down and her water broke. You see, she didn't plan to have that baby in that office. But it came upon her like that, and she wasn't expecting it. And that's what happens to death for us. Or it may be his return. Either way, we're going to stand before him. In Matthew 24, Jesus talks about this himself. He says, but concerning the day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven. By the way, when you see these TV preachers start to tell you it's going to happen here or here, or uh, I, I know one of them, I, I just, I, I get so <clears throat> with them. Well, this, this has happened, but this has got to happen and this has got to happen based on their interpretation of revelations. By the way, I've talked to some real smart people. I've talked to people that have PhDs in theology, and I've listened to them back and forth, not agree. One says, well, the Lord's coming here in this particular time frame. The other one says this. And I'm like, neither one of y'all know. 
Listen, if these two PhD guys can't figure it out, it's an apocalyptic writing. God is telling us these events that will happen, but we don't know exactly when. We don't know if we're in the midst of them right now. And so when a preacher claims that this and this has to happen before the Lord can come back, (laughs) when did God get off his throne and let you sit down? As far as I'm concerned, he can come back any moment. By the way, do you realize that back in this day, even Peter wrote about this? And I'll share that with you a little bit. Where they were saying, I thought Jesus said he was coming back. You see, they thought Jesus was coming back in their own lifetime. They thought that Jesus, when he ascended, that, that he said, I'm going to return. They thought, okay, uh, a week, maybe two weeks. I mean, go on vacation real quick. It was glad. But they thought he was going to come back in their own lifetime. I'm sure they never thought it was going to be another 2,000 years and still here we are. But I guarantee you, he is coming back. He says, for as the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. The two will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake for you do not know what the day of your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what a part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have left his house to be broken into. Therefore, you must also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. So the first point today is this. There is an imminent danger. It is coming. Make no mistake. He's not going to wire to you ahead of time and let you know so that you can be ready. Several different times Jesus talks about this in the Gospels where he shared stories. I think about the ten virgins, five of them wise, five of them not. They were out waiting for the bridegroom to come. By the way, what does the Bible call Christ? The bridegroom. But only five took oil to keep their lamps lit waiting for him. The other five did not. You see, five were ready for him. Five not. So we know that the threat is imminent. But listen, we also must understand that we have a responsibility to share the gospel. When we see that he's talking here uh, uh, to Ezekiel and tells him that I've set you as a watchman, but understand and realize that he's giving this, this, this word to not only Ezekiel, but to all those in, in his care there so that they all know. And it is applicable to you and I, not just to preachers and not just specifically to Ezekiel, but there is a general application of this that reminds us not only here, but in other places in the gospel, including the Great Commission, that you and I have a responsibility to let others know know that danger is ahead of them we have the responsibility it's not just good enough that we are saved but the bible lets us know and clearly paints this picture of salvation flowing from us to others so that they may know well huff doesn't god already know who's going to be saved who's not yeah but what does that mean What 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 does that got anything to do with you or me Just because God knows God's omniscient, he knows everything, but he's also given us a responsibility and he lets Ezekiel know, I'm going to hold you accountable. It's not just good enough that I tell you to do it and and you don't have, it's not like you can, well, I just don't really want to do it and everything's going to be good. He says, listen, you do this or else I'll require their blood at your hands. 
You know what that means is we'll stand before God with our hands stained with the blood of others that we did not tell about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's heavy, folks. That's why I'm so adamant about making sure today that everybody hears. Everybody knows. You may be here today while I'm saved, but you better listen up. You've got a responsibility. It's not just good enough that you've accepted Christ. As a matter of fact, if you do not have the love of Christ in you that, 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 that compels you to love others, then I ask you to really take a good heart check today. Maybe your confidence is a false confidence because you said a prayer or did something. If, if the word of God and if the love of God is not compelling you to come out of your selfish ways and to care about the lives of others, then I would challenge you today, have you truly accepted him for who he is or did you accept the version of what you wanted Christ to be? Not easy, but it's the truth. You see, when I read this scripture, how can I not tell you? I'd much rather be talking about David in his sling and five stones and a big old giant being slayed, wouldn't you? Talk about slaying giants, Pastor Huff. I got some giants in my life. Yeah, you got a giant thing right in front of you now that's confronting you. It's called the truth and the word of God. When God wants us to talk about David and the giants, we'll get there. We have a responsibility. We know that the general call to all believers, Matthew 28, we see the Great Commission, verses 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He's saying, I'm going to be with you. You go and proclaim me, and I'll be with you until the end of the age. When is that? When he says time is no more. We don't get to declare that. He does. But look what Paul wrote to the Roman church. In chapter 10, verses 14 and 15, it says, How then will they call on him and who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless someone is sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Well, that's talking about preachers thereof. Yes, but do we realize that all of us, we all have the office of priests as well? Yes, I may be called to pastor and, and to preach and maybe have a deeper understanding or, or, or a deeper desire to study the word so that I could help you. That's what pastors are called to do. But it doesn't negate your necessity to be preaching as well to all those that you have influence with. You see, the whole reason we're here today, the Bible says, is to equip the saints for the ministry. That's you. That's me. He says, how will they believe? Have they not heard? Do your friends know? Do they know the road to salvation? Have they ever heard? Oh, listen, I'm not standing up here with Lily White, by the way. I'm not standing up here with, I got serious stains on my hands this morning. I found myself at times just weeping as I really pour over the scripture. You know what bothers me? I preached for this, this same text about 14 years ago. I found my old outline. Why am I still weeping today? Because I haven't been doing it right. Or I haven't been doing enough. 
I've been taking every opportunity. It's not just enough to let them know that I'm a Christian and that I pastor a church, but, but it's to, to really let them know that there is a true God and that he absolutely loves them and that there is a road to salvation, and I'd love to share it with you. Some people are just waiting to be asked. My buddy, a preacher buddy Porky one time, we were talking about something, and he's like, I said, well, just be praying for me. He says, you mind if I pray for you right now? I'll never forget that day. Yeah, I'd like that. And so I was at work one day, and one of the guys coming to tell me that his granddaughter was on life support and it didn't look good. He says, I know that you're praying, man, and that your church prays Would you pray for us. And suddenly, Porky just popped right in my head. I said, not only will I do that, but can I pray for you right now? This is what he said that day. Well, Huff, I, I, I'm not sure all that stuff is real, and I know that you believe, and, and if you believe it, I think it might be something to it, but, you know, I'd be okay if you just, you know, you just pray normally where you normally pray. And I walked out of there so sad. So I thought for sure he'd let me pray for you. I believe he was thinking that if there is something to it, then I know someone who's tapped into it. If there's any ounce of hope, maybe it'll be in that because everything else that gives hope is gone because the doctor said there's no hope. But he wasn't ready to dive in. He wasn't ready to experience. That granddaughter died three days later. She was a beautiful little special needs girl. She was seven years old and had just started to finally form her first words. But I bet she's talking up a storm now. But the sad part about it is a year ago, that same man, his son died suddenly without expectation. Did he know about Jesus? We have a call to deliver the gospel. He says, how can they know unless they're told? How can a preacher go unless he's sent? You see, we have the general call and the great commission. You and all, that applies to all of us. But then God has called some people to, to, to be preachers. And it's, a, it's a different way, but we're all responsible for delivering the gospel. And how do you deliver the gospel? Here's the easiest way to share with your friends the gospel of Jesus Christ. Tell them how it affected you. Isn't that what you do for everything else? I walked up on a fella and he had these new shoes on and these big old Velcro flaps on. And I said, I, I, I thought of Forrest Gump. Those look like some comfortable shoes. He said, this is what he said. Man, they are. I've been having these problems with my feet. He said, Huff and the doctor told me to get these shoes right here. And he said, man, listen, I'm going to tell you right now. These shoes are absolutely wonderful. He says, man, uh, my feet don't get sore on the bottom more. they got these big arch support. All he did was tell me how those shoes affected him and how it changed his life. And he says, man, you need to go get you a pair. I looked down and I'm like, boy, I'm going to have to hurt a lot more to wear those. You know what I'm saying? They some things, my feet ain't hurting bad enough to wear them yet. <laughs> but when they do, I know where to go. I just was like, do they have any tie-up models? I mean, do they have any trendy versions of that? That didn't go over too well, by the way. But all he did was share how those shoes affected him. 
That's really what God is calling you to do. He's not, you don't have to go get a theology degree. But you are responsible for telling people about Jesus. And the best way to do that is tell them what he's done for you. Look at Paul's conviction. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 16 and 17, it says, For I preach the gospel that get for if I preach the gospel that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Jeremiah once said that it burns in my bone. I remember my grandpa's preacher buddy Lester Horton one time, big old fella back in the day. And I remember him preaching just so fervently. And, and he had these two fingers cut off right here. And he had these two nubs. And I asked him one time, because he would preach and he would do this. Like Spider-Man without this thing. He would just do this. And I finally asked him one day, he says, Preacher Horton? I was a little kid. And he was standing with my grandma and grandpa. And, and I said, Preacher Horton, can I ask you a question? And he was always known for joking. He was a big jokester. I'm like, he says, yes, son, what do you ask? What happened to your fingers? He said, son, I was preaching revival one time and the word of God was on me so hot, man, and I was doing this and them two just flew right off. <laughs> he said, and eight people got saved. <laughs> I believe him. So when he started doing this, I was ducking. Every time he do this, I keep an eye, I watch it like a hawk. That whole hand, I always just watch it. My mother was like, what's wrong with you? And she smacked me. What's wrong with you? But later on in life, when Lester could hardly breathe, some of you remember seeing him come and visit, pushing the wheelchair of his dear wife, Lottie. He said, Huff, I can barely even walk up to get up on the pulpit anymore. He said, but the love of God and the love for preaching his word has never left me. And he got that big old size 18 shoe, whatever it was. It looked like a monster to me. He is like Ronald McDonald without the flair. You know what I mean? He got to stomp on that foot. He says, it, it's still, he said, I feel like Jeremiah. It just burns in my bones. You ever been busted at the gut to tell somebody something? Christians ought to be busting at the gut to share the gospel. Let me make it a little plainer. Huff needs to be busting at the gut to tell other people about the gospel, not just when I'm on this pulpit. I need to do a better job out there. He says, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. Then verse 17 says, for if I do this on my own, I will have a reward. You know what he's saying? That if I do the, what God has called me to do, I know that I'll be laying rewards up in heaven. It says, but if not on my, on my own will, I am still entrusted with the stewardship. Let me break that down for you. He says, if I go do this, God's given me the free will to choose. If I choose to go do this that he's called me to do, I know that I'll be laying a reward in heaven. He says, but if I don't do it, I'm still a steward. You know what he's saying? If I don't do it, I'm still going to be held accountable. That's what stewards do. Stewards manage. I've been given this job to do. If I do it, I get a reward in heaven. 
If I don't do it, I got to stand before Christ and still be held accountable for that which I refuse to do. Paul's saying, you don't, you don't get a free pass. Remember when Moses, when God told him to go tell Pharaoh, Moses started offering up excuses. He says, man, I got a speech problem. And finally, God's like, take Aaron with you, but you're still going. I'm not letting up on your job, Aaron, Moses. I've called you to do this. And I'm holding you accountable for it. You can make all the excuses you want in the world. But you still can stand before God and give an account. We're going to be held responsible. He said this, but his blood I will require at your hand. Think about that for a minute. What does it mean to have blood required at your hand? And how would we view that if it was someone else other than us? You see, we look at other people that are locked up in prison, things like that. You ever see when they talk about, well, so-and-so is going to be executed and, you know, he killed so-and-so. Or he murdered this person, murdered that person. And we're like, yeah, he deserves to die. That's not what I'm saying, but that's what society, a lot of society says. I'm not a proponent of that. We'll get into that discussion later on. But we see somebody guilty of murder. And we call them guilt. This is, this is about innocence or guilt here is what he's saying. When he says that his blood ever require your hands, he means you're going to stand there before him. And just as somebody sitting on death row has got blood on their hands because of the person that they killed, he's given us the same indictment. Do you see that? That person died at that other person's hand. And if you don't tell them about Jesus, I'll require their blood on your hands. It means that you and I will be guilty. That you and I will stand before him and we'll have blood dripping from our hands. Why? Because we neglected to deliver the gospel and we didn't give them the life-saving truth. Well, if they were going to get saved, they were going to get saved anyway. Listen, you're not allowed to look at it that way because God didn't give us that ability. He says, I'm holding you accountable. You leave the God stuff to me. You see, we try to reconcile this God's sovereignty with free will. Here's what I have learned. Quit. I can't understand God's sovereignty and omniscience and free will. I can't understand it, but I do know this. God's given me the free will to choose, and he's given me a purpose. And one day I'll stand before him, and I'll have to give an account of the choices that I have made. And so will you. He tells them their blood will require your hand. By the way, this isn't just an Old Testament concept, as I told you earlier. There's twice in Acts we see Paul reference this, like kind of almost specifically. In Acts 18, verses 5 and 6, it says, When Silas and Timothy arrived in Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood will be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. We see Paul here using the same exact phrase, this concept. This is not just an Old Testament concept that applied to Ezekiel. This applies to all believers, that we are given the responsibility to deliver the gospel. So Paul's saying here, I delivered the gospel and they rejected it. So therefore, your blood is on your hands. Our works are going to be judged. We see in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15, we see a little bit of a glimpse of sort of what this is going to be like. 
And Paul wrote it here. It says, according to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care of how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it. And because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what each sort of work has been done. If the work that anyone builds on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is, bu- is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. That is providing that we are truly saved. Amen. But he says even our works are going to be tried. If we lay precious stones, we know that they can survive the fire. They, they are true. He said, but we also build on that foundation with hay and stubble, and those things will be burnt. So what does that mean? That means clearly think about how it is that we're living before others. And think about truly our walk with Christ. Is what we're doing for the sole purpose of promoting the gospel of Jesus Christ. If your work is, it'll last. But if your work is motivated by any other thing. Remember Ronald Reagan actually had a saying, I'm sure you've seen it lately with all the political jazzola going on, right? He says you can get a lot of things done if you don't care who gets the credit. You remember that? But even in a church we find out people want credit. Well, I've done this and I've done that and so-and-so over here is not doing Listen, stop it. You sound like babies. That's something a baby would say. Because if I'm, if I'm building truly as, the, as Christ is the foundation, if I'm truly building upon Christ, then everything I do ought to be for the promotion of the gospel. My kindness I give should not to be received kindness back. My kindness I give should be so that others may see Christ in me and so that I may be able to witness to them and share Christ. If I'm loving you to get love back, then the love I receive back from you is all the reward I'm going to get. Why? Because I'm not loving you because Christ told me to. I'm loving you because of what you can do for me. Anything we do to get self-satisfaction is most likely hair stubble. That's why I am scared to death sometimes of music. Now let me explain that. I played gospel music on the road for many years. Many years. But I can look back and I can't remember a wrong, really remember a moment where I really cared about anyone that was in the sound of, or within earshot of what we were doing. I played music because I love to play music. Now, there is nothing inherently wrong with that. I still play today. I play not only here, I play out of the places. But listen, I do it for the enjoyment. But I don't think for a minute... Now, I think that I can use those opportunities, and we pray we do because we tell them about Jesus. We tell them who we are. But I'm going to tell you right now, I enjoy it. I get satisfaction out of that, and and there's nothing wrong with that. But also make sure I'm careful to say that what I'm doing is not all for Jesus because I'd be lying. Because a lot of it's for us. Now, I can do things that I love, and God could use the pastimes that we have, the hobbies that we have. He can use all of that for his glory. But let's not get above ourselves and think, well, I'm doing this for Jesus. 
There may be an element of what you're doing, and you may be doing some of that, but don't be surprised when you stand before God and think that you have these big, huge walls that you've built up with these precious stones, only to find out that a lot of it was hay and stubble. But the problem is, is a lot of times we become so self-centered that what we do, we do for our enjoyment, and we try to tag Christ on. So I remember telling somebody one time, and I got into a little bit of an argument about it, uh, and I'm like, listen, here's the tale. Here's what tells the tale. When we're not on the road playing, and all we're doing is, you know, when we're off the road and the, and the bus is parked and all that's done, who's in their Bible reading? Who's trying to learn about Christ? Am I only in church when I'm there to, to sing? Or do I really desire to hear the word of God? See, the fact is, it won't take long to figure that out, will it? Now, God wants us to use our talents and resources in ways for him. But let's just really look at a very clear way of understanding that God gives us things that we can enjoy. But if we think we're going to start keeping score and that you're doing more than the person next to you, Take a good hard look at what you're doing. Maybe some of what you're doing, you're doing clearly because you enjoy it. Or the fact is, is you like other people telling you how good you are at it. I'm not telling you to stop doing it. As long as it's something that's good, do it. But a lot of times we think that we're building some big Taj Mahal in heaven, laying up all these treasures when all we're really doing is living life, doing what really makes us happy and what pleases us. God's calling us to do some hard things. And I, I find that, that when we start going that path, that narrow path that Christ talks about, when we start going that path, we, things that, we find that things get more difficult. When I, when I start challenging people and, and when we start really looking at the truth, I find that my fan club reduces greatly. And that's when I need to most be keenly aware in those moments is I believe when I'm truly working for the Lord. We're going to be judged. 2 Corinthians 5.10, he says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due, uh, due for what he has done in the body. So then we also tackle the hard question, too. What's the hard question? What happens to those who die who aren't warned? Here's the imminent danger brought right before our eyes. Did you see what verse 8 said? Well, it says it in there twice. We'll just look at verse 8. If I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn from his way, that wicked person will die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. What is that saying? That's saying, listen, that sinner is still dying a sinner. You didn't do your job and you didn't deliver the gospel. But that does not all of a sudden make that person sinless. They're going to die in their iniquities and they're going to, they're going to stand before God. And, and, they, and if they are sinners, and if they haven't chosen Christ to be their Savior and they haven't given their heart to the Lord, then they will die and go to hell. Well, Huff, they haven't heard. I know. Isn't that the point I'm trying to make? Well, Huff, if they haven't heard, see, what we try to do is we try to, we try to spin it around and we try to be God. Well, how can God let someone go to hell who's never heard? That's not the question to ask. The question to ask is, how can we sit silently by knowing God is going to send them to hell? You see, it's on us, not him. You don't bring God down to your level and say, God, why is it that you let someone who's never heard the gospel go to hell? He says this, there is none righteous, there is no one. 
that we have all sinned against him. And the wages of sin is what? Death. God says, I'm not changing. I'm not changing the game for anyone. I have set the rules. They are in place. I am righteous and I am holy. And if you want to be in my presence, you must also be righteous and holy. Now, I've given you my son to cover you so that you may stand before me righteous, not because of your work, but because of what Christ did. But those who stand before him not being covered by the blood of Christ will die and go to hell, whether they live in Jefferson or Berkeley County, West Virginia, or whether they live in the Amazon jungle. It does not matter. Either way, there is no person who's ever died righteous other than Christ. But we try to bring God down to our level. Well, how can God do this? No, the question is how can you sit and say that you love God and say that you love your neighbor as yourself and be silent knowing that they are casting headlong into hell? That's the real question, folks. We try to turn it around. But you know God's not going to have no part of that, right? I've heard some people say, I'm going to tell you right now, when I get to heaven, I've got a couple things I'm going to ask God. No, you know, you're going to fall flat on your face and beg God to have mercy on you, just like I will. But we want to act like God has somehow done. God has laid out in his word, and he's very clear. Can you really sit and watch people being thrown into hell and not be moved? Can you do that? 1 John chapter 2, verses 9-11, through it says, Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. How can we say that we love God and that we love our fellow man if we're not willing to sound the trumpet loud and clear? How can we be so arrogant to, to look at God and, and as if he answers to us? Now, I know it's a question that you get asked. I, I don't think anybody hears that arrogant, I, but I think the question gets asked because we want to know what, what is the answer to that? And Ezekiel gives us a clear answer to this. When God tells Ezekiel, you've got to warn them. If you warn them and they, they don't turn from their wicked ways and they choose to continue on that path, then they die in their iniquities and your conscience is clear. But... If you don't tell them, they're still dying in their iniquities. They have still sinned, and I will hold them accountable for their sin. But I'm also going to call you out on it, too. Because you didn't do your job. You didn't do what God's called you to do. I think it's interesting that God makes it also very clear in verse 11 that he does not desire to send anyone to hell. Verse 11 says, say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But that the wicked turn away from and live, turn back, turn back from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? 
God doesn't want to send anybody to hell. Matter of fact, in, in Peter, they ask him, you know, when's he coming back? I thought he said he was coming back. Let me give Peter's response. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise. As some count slowness. But is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and when the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and all the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Waiting for and hastening the coming day of the God, coming day of God, which because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. I read something this week that said this. There's been as many veterans to commit suicide in the last decade as there were deaths in all of Vietnam. That's hopeless, isn't it? That these people could give their lives to protect other people and fight all around the world and come home. And we have the hope that they need. We have the message of hope that Almighty God loves them. And there's nothing that they have done that God will not forgive them and love them through. Because you realize most of them deal with guilt. Did you know that? It's guilt. Why? Because you and I were not built and were not made to understand death. Nor were we made to be able to handle guilt. God made Adam and Eve in the garden. He made them absolutely beautiful and perfect. They were not built for death. It was because of sin in the garden that they then were driven out and were no longer able to eat from the tree of life. And so there in that day, after having beautiful lives in the garden, they were driven out. And in that day, they began to die one cell at a time. I believe it was a real smart, wise person one time that says the moment we were born, we begin to die. We weren't built for it. We have a hard time dealing with it. We're scared of it because it's an unknown. But also the guilt. We weren't made to handle guilt. Wow, these bodies were not made to sin. They were made to glorify God. We chose to sin. And we can't handle the guilt. And a lot of these beautiful, loving people who gave their lives in service for our country now live with a guilt that they can't hardly stand. And in 10 years, more of them have taken their life than all that were killed in Vietnam. Folks, that's a tragedy. We read about death after death, opioid crisis. You name it, we hear it. Dr. Chuck Quarles, I was going to show you a video, but I'm just going to tell you what he said. Dr. Chuck Quarles, who happens to be a... Uh, a professor at Southeastern Seminary told a story of his high school buddy. They were in high school and every day during their lunch break, you know, between classes, they would hang out together. And he said that there was time after time that, that he was trying to get the conversation to go into a way to talk about Jesus, but he just never could, never could get it that way. Just never could quite steer the conversation that way. 
Right after they had gotten out of school, he says, I remember the call I got. It was his dad who knew that we were buddies. This guy had a truck that he loved working on, and he'd been working on the truck that day and had it up on a jack, and the jack fell. And that truck crushed him and killed him instantly. He said, so they all gathered there. They were all talking about this guy. And he said, people were sharing funny stories back and forth. He said, but all I could do was sit there in a the corner and just constantly run through my mind. Through every conversation I ever had. Did I ever tell him about Jesus? He said, and I could not remember one time where I told him about God's son. God's plan of salvation for him. He said, I've never forgotten it. He said, there was also a girl that he had in high school that he was friends with. She wanted to be more than friends, but he just wanted to be friends. He said, so it was kind of awkward sometimes, but I really liked her as a friend. And he said, but the thing was, he says, that this girl liked me so much that she would hang on every word. I could have talked about, I could have talked for hours about Jesus and she would have listened just because she wanted to be around me. She would have listened if I'd have just told her. He says, you think I learned from the first one. But there again, he got that call that she was in a car accident, been hit head on and killed. And I didn't tell her about Jesus either. I lost a high school friend Last week, I don't think I ever talked about Jesus. I will tell you that I was not living for, for Christ most of those years. I'm not going to act like I was this great Christian guy. I wasn't. But when I saw him on social media being angry, I could have sent a nice note. Hey, buddy, maybe we can meet up for lunch. It's something I can help you with. You know what I did? Nothing. Did nothing. I didn't like the language he was using, the way he was doing it. I didn't like some of the things he was saying about people. He's very angry. Maybe he could have used someone who understood anger a little bit better and could have helped him cope with it a little differently. Maybe I could have done something. I'll tell you right now, I did nothing. Absolutely zero. Here's my challenge for you today. If you won't stain this altar with tears for your own self and for your spiritual well-being, would you at least do it for someone else? Would you maybe consider somebody else's spiritual well-being more important than yours? Just be honest with me today. And I'll be honest with you. Do I know people who don't know Christ? Who also I know are going through difficult things and I have not offered the gospel 
as a means for them, knowing that the gospel will fix any problem. Are you guilty like me? Do you know somebody? Just be honest. Let's just get real here this morning. Does anybody know somebody who doesn't know Jesus that you know you could help in some way if you would just stop being too busy? Brian, do you get the thing so we can play music? That's all? Maybe not. There's always a backup plan. Would you stand? By your head. I want to challenge you this morning, church. So often I give altar call, I draw altar call myself, Brother Kevin, Brother Josue. Light off the time we raise our hands, acknowledging that the Spirit has spoken to our hearts. We're not doing that this morning. If you know that the people that you know that don't know Christ are going to go to hell, are you willing to allow Christ to move your heart this morning? To pray for them? To call their name out before God? Dr. Quarles said that he had finally cried so much that he Went to bed that night hoping that he would get a little bit of sleep and some relief from the agony he was in. He said, the problem was there was none. Because he had a terrible dream that his buddy was calling out from hell. Why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me about Jesus? We need a better land where before the bar we stand how deep in grief our soul shall be if any lost ones that should cry out in deep despair I was astray 
Yet you never mentioned him Yes, Jesus to me A few sweet words may guide A lost one to his side Hide or turn sad eyes to Calvary So as days go by That yonder none may cry You've never mentioned him Yes, Jesus to me You've never mentioned him to me And you knew I was astray Yet you'd never mentioned him Yes, Jesus, to me Only the spread the word Wherever it be heard And help Groping souls delight To see That young There none may say That you showed me not the way Cause you never mentioned Jesus to me You never mentioned him to me You've helped me not thine eyes to see You've me by day and you knew I was strange yet you never mentioned to me while your heads are still bowed knees and praying I not only thought of the loved ones that I people I've known that I just imagine them crying out to me and Mutter those awful words that you never mentioned them to me. But what about our children? So sometimes the hardest people to talk to are the people that are in your house. Sometimes it's hard to challenge because it's awkward. can't imagine the horror of my children crying out that 
you never challenged me. You never had to talk with me about my spiritual condition. You never really, never really explained the concept or told me hell was going to be this bad. I imagine when the planes hit 9-11, hit those buildings that people didn't go up to each other and like, uh, I just want to let you know you might want to get out of the building. It was frantic. There was no time for subtleties and no time for beating around the bush. You gotta get out of here, you're gonna die. Time's at hand. He's coming soon. Our loved ones aren't ready. They will. They will not. They will not see Christ in His eternal heaven. Instead, they'll stand before Him. They'll hear those awful words: "Depart from me, you worker of iniquity," because I never knew you. second coming and Lord the Lord the urgency of it Lord we know it's beautiful for those who know Christ and we talk about the day that we long for you to come and take us home but we know that that great day is also going to be a day of separation for those who don't know you Lord, may our hearts and our minds be consumed with love and compassion for the lost. Lord, we know the lost sometimes, Father, we know lives are messy, things are awful. Sometimes when we love others, we get hurt. 
Father, we'd rather be hurt for you and for your cause than not be hurt at all. Lord, I pray that you move us as a church. You move us to share the gospel with urgency, with conviction, with courage. Lord, forgive us where we fail. And Lord, as sure as we're standing here, I know that, that I have stains on my hands. But Lord, I know it's not something that you aren't forgiving me for. But Lord, I pray it's something that I never get over. Because I never want it to happen again. Help us to reach our family and our friends and our children. Give us a desire, Lord, I pray. Pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Y'all can just stand where you're at. You ain't got to move. Get ready to close the prayer. Pray that God has touched your heart this morning. Don't forget, we got the sign-in sheet out there for the dinner. Um, also, specifically calling on some of the guys that helped us and gals. Um, the flooring came in for up here, and we're going to do it this Saturday. As you can see, it's got a limited amount of space, so we can't have really 20 of us up here laying flooring at the same time. Uh, but it's the same kind of flooring we put out in the foyer. It's just of different colors to match the oak. Uh, if you know how to do that kind of flooring and you want to help us, we'd love to have you. Uh, Brother Jeff can pretty much show anybody how to do anything. Uh, but, it, you know, we had several people help that there really was good at it and knew what they were doing. Um, so if you're around, uh, but we also need people to hand stuff and do stuff. So if you want to help us work on the flooring, what time are we going to start, Brother Jeff, on Saturday? About 8. 8 o'clock. You're lucky Jeff normally gets up at like, oh, dark 30. He'd do it 4 a.m. if we let him. Uh, so uh, 8 o'clock next, next Saturday, I'll put a message out. Um, but it's not really hard to do. But like I said, it's, it's going to be very intricate because we've got to make sure the lines are right. And I, Brother Jeff, I'm like, all right, I, I trust you. I don't know how he's going to do it, but we'll figure it out. Uh, he'll make sure it looks right when, when we're done with it. So uh, come on out. Be with us. If we run up to lunchtime and we still ain't done, then we'll get lunch. If we get done early, knock it out, which would be fantastic uh then we'll let you go home early otherwise we won't let you be here starving to death all right also it's clothing closet day right clothing closet day as well um always need workers for that but everything we do here has got to be to reach lost people it's, it has to be there's people who's always going to take advantage of us it is what it is we can't stop because of that because a lot of people took advantage of jesus too